apologize in advance to Amelia. Because if you read this passage, you know the last uh, five or six verses. There's a lot of names in there. She has a finger spell each and every one of those names. So uh, she's going to get her work out. Be praying for her. We're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel 30 today. If you want to start turning there. The prophet Amos uh, paints a very vivid picture in his prophecy. And it's a man who he runs along and he runs into a bear. And he sees the bear and he turns and he runs the other direction. And he runs into a lion. And he sees the lion and he runs home and he slams the door and he breathes a sigh of relief and he leans back against the wall and then he's bitten by a snake that was in the wall. <laughs> that prophecy is, is somewhat similar to what David is going through in our passage today. He was pursued by Saul and so he fled to the Philistines. Then he was drafted into the Philistine army. Then he escaped, having to fight with the Philistines. And now today he will return home only to be bitten by an Amalekite snake. So let's read what happened. We're going to read 1 Samuel 30. We're going to start in verse 1. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed, because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to them, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So David went, and he and the six hundred men who were with him, and they came to the brook Besor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. They remained behind. Now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David, and gave him bread, and he ate, and they provided him water to drink. They gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins, and he ate. Then his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites, and on that which belongs to Judah, and on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Then David said to him, Will you bring me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring you down to this band. When he had brought them down, behold, they were spread all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from the twilight until evening of the next day. 
and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle which the people drove ahead of the other livestock, and they said, this is David's spoil. When David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David, who had also been left at the brook of Besor, and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him, then David approached the people and greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men among them who went with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except to every man his wife and his children, and they may lead them away and depart. And David said, you must not do so, my brothers. With what the Lord has given us, who has kept us and delivered into our hand the band that came against us? And who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. So it has been from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Behold, I give to you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who are in Bethel, and to those who are in Ramath of the Negev, and to those who are in Jatir, and to those who are in Aror, and to those who are in Sifmah, and to those who are in Eshtimoah, and to those who are in Rakal, and to those who are in the cities of Jer the Jeremites, and to those who are in the cities of the Kenites, and to those who are in Hormah, and to those who are in Morashan, and to those who are in Athath, and to those who are in Hebron, to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to go. May God add his blessing of understanding to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you have prepared our hearts to hear your truth. We pray that you teach us this morning. We pray that um, though your truths are strong, though your truths are bold, that they would come across with love. We will give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia, we used to fly all the way out here to California to do training. It was a month long, and it was at the National Training Center. It's the Army. They don't have very vivid names, right? And we went, it was way down south. It was by the Nevada border. In fact, it was so close to the Nevada border that when we were out doing the training, we could pick up radio stations from Las Vegas while we were on our tanks there. We would hear commercials for all the steak and lobster buffets, <laughs> and all you can eat Chinese food buffets, and soft, warm beds. All the while, we were eating MREs and sitting on a cold metal tank. So as I said, this training took an entire month, and, and then we would pack everything up and we would fly back to Georgia where we usually get like a long weekend or a week off uh, to kind of recover from it. And the time that I'm describing, we, we finished up, we packed everything up, we all got on a plane, and we flew back to Georgia. However, when we arrived at the airfield in Savannah, Georgia, with visions of lobster tails and ribeyes dancing in our eyes, there was a problem. One of the people on the 300-person plane had misplaced their night vision goggles. 
So they formed us up. They had us dump out all of our gear in front of us there and organize everything. You know, it's the army. Everything has to be folded perfectly. And they went through everybody's stuff, and they didn't find it. So here we are, 40 miles from home, 40 miles from that warm bed, whatever food we want to go out and get, we're on the tarmac with all of our gear dumped on the ground. And we're told we're not going home until they find those goggles. For the next three days, we ate MREs. We slept in an aircraft hangar and had hourly inspections all through the night, every hour. All to find out that one of the commander's drivers had left them in a Humvee in California. They never did tell us exactly who this individual was. <laughs> Probably smart. But we got back three days deep in a four-day weekend. And we were not happy. All that to say, even that experience, even though we can, we can relate to that experience and, and we can groan about that experience, it had nothing Nothing compared to the, 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 what David and his men experienced when they returned from their deployments. They had basically run home from Aphek, where the Philistines were uh, gathering their forces there and preparing for war. And I say run because that's a 60-mile trip. And they made it on the third day. They were booking in full battle route, running through the desert, on foot, they made it home on the third day. I think it's safe to say they wanted to get home. And as they're nearing the town, an ominous smell hits their nose. And they see wisps of smoke coming up. And that's where we find them in verse 1. Then it happened, David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. And we get a little extra information, right? They, they don't know this, but the narrator's nice enough. He, he's been kind of mean to us this last couple chapters, so he, he gives us a little extra information there. And we see that everybody's been taken, the city's been burned with fire, and then David and the people were, who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no more strength to weep in them. This is pretty dire. Like I said, we have information about what happened to Ziklag. We have more than, than what David and his men did. They probably could have gleaned that whoever raided Ziklag, they didn't know who it was, but they probably could have gleaned that they didn't kill anybody because there were no bodies around. But remember what David and his men had spent the last year or so doing. Raiding the Malachites. And killing who? Everyone. So that no one would tell the Philistines what David was really up to. You can't tell me that their previous year wasn't dancing in front of their eyes. Except this time it was their wives. It was their children. And as they are desperately looking everywhere, moving rubble, calling out for their family, they begin to weep. And this isn't a, a manly tear or two, or a chuffle, or a cry. This is ugly crying, right? This is when your face distorts and snot comes out of your nose and tears are flowing. They're wailing loudly and they're beating their chests and they're crying out to Yahweh as they ponder what has become of their family. We should take the fact that the raiders hadn't murdered the families there on site as a good thing. In that day and age, captains, captains were often taken and 
brutalized and then sold into slavery, which in most cases was more terrible than a fate than a quick death. The men, including David, weep until they can do it no more. And as they lay gasping on the ground, a state of emotional exhaustion, the physical exhaustion, remember they just ran an ultra marathon to get there, rage begins to build in the men. And it's not a rage against whoever did this. Remember, we know it's the Malachites, but they have no idea who did this. They're not angry at who did this. So who does the rage bubble out toward? Read the verse 6. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened The men, they, they wipe their faces. They start talking to one another. One guy says to the other, whose stupid idea was it to come here anyway? The next guy says, David. The third guy says, we had two perfectly good chances to take out Saul. He was in our hand, and we told David to do it. He didn't do it. And now look what happened. Now look where we are. Look at David. He's, he's a man that spent the last 10 years or so being hunted. He survived attack after attack after attack. And now it looks like he's going to die at the hands of his own men. On top of that, he's lost his wives. Remember, descriptive, not prescriptive. Don't go out there and try and find another wife, gentlemen. For all he knows, they're dead somewhere. And he's about to join them, not at the hands of Saul, not at the hands of the Philistines, hands of his own men. And what does he do? He strengthens himself in the Lord his God. As I was preparing this week, I, what I like to do before I, I really dig into the commentaries and start looking at the, you know, the original, the Hebrew that this was written in to try and glean things from that, I, don't, I just have to read the passage. I'll pray about it. I'll read through the passage a couple of times. And one phrase just kept sticking out at me. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What does that mean? Because it sounds kind of important, right? I mean, I doubt anyone here has been threatened with stoning, but we've all had times where we've needed to strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God. Times that have seemed impossibly overwhelming. That seem like they're crushing us. Waves of anxiety and depression begin to swamp the boat. And life becomes more and more hopeless. And the daily tasks that are set before us that used to be so simple, so mindless, they now become Everests, impassable mountains. Perhaps you've even been so bad that you've had thoughts of maybe ending your life. Maybe it's time to just cash the chips in and call it a night. Many years ago, I found myself in that boat. I was being crushed by doubt, 
and despair and anxiety. The anxiety actually got so bad I went to the ER thinking I was having a heart attack. And although the fact that I was in perfect health should have been comfort, it wasn't. And other than the, the trip to the ER, no one could tell what was going on inside. At work, at home, everything seemed normal. I remember the day like it was yesterday. The kids were tiny at this point. And now I have to look up at them. But back then, they were this. And I was exhausted. So I did what every parent did when they're in dire need of a nap, right? I turn on the TV, I find a, a semi-educational cartoon to entertain them, and I sat down on the couch with them and passed out. Have you ever done this? You fall asleep while the TV's on, and you start to have a dream, and whatever you're dreaming is influenced by what's going on in the TV. It's really, it's really weird. It's kind of annoying, especially if you know somebody's watching something really weird. But I remember I, I turned on this show, and it was all about these two brothers that would go out and they would uh, really get up close and personal with wildlife. It was a cartoon. And, Today they were studying deep sea squid, so they made these suits so they could go down into the depths and study the squid. And, and at one point, one of the suits starts to fail, and one of the brothers is sinking, and the other brother's up, up top, and he can't help him, and he's, he's worried he's going to drown and crush, right? And I'll relieve the suspense. In the end, the giant squid helps the suit up, and, and everybody's safe. I remember clearly, I was dreaming at that same time, and I was in water. And as I looked up to the surface of the water, I saw it get darker and darker and darker. And I knew in that moment, I was going to die. Which wasn't as terrifying as, as what I thought after that. The thought that I had was, I'm okay with this. I'm ready to go. And I woke up from that dream terrified. Terrified. God, this is not who you made me. What about my kids? I hope and pray that you've never had a moment like that. But odds are there are, are some in here that have felt that way. And if not completely that way, at least maybe hopeless. Full of anxiety. <clears throat> depressed to the point where Daily living is a struggle. Like, like you're moving in slow motion and everybody else is in fast forward all around you and nobody can see you. What do we as Christians do when we find ourselves there? What do we do when the walls are closing in and day turns into a dark night in our soul? I think David gives us a pretty good idea of what to do. Verses 7 and 8, then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So, Ab so Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord. He prayed, saying, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And God says to him, and he listens to God, pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. And he looked to God for the answer. He strengthened himself in the Lord by placing his trouble firmly at the feet of the God who created the heavens and the earth. And I, I want you to notice something here. Don't let this slide past. He received an answer. 
And it was good news, yes. But David was still in trouble. He still had 600 men outside with rocks in their hands. He still had to go find the raiders. He still had to go fight the raiders. But David had something now. Something that could keep him moving forward in his distress. He had a promise from God. It's like David was in the middle of a, a churning tempest, and yet he strengthened himself in the promises of the Lord. He had something to lean on now. He had firm footing to stand on and fight. Amen. And so it is with Christians today that battle with anxiety and depression. If you are a believer here this morning, you have firm footing to stand on and fight. Because God can cause anxiety and depression to evaporate instantly. But if we are to rejoice in our sufferings as they bring about endurance, and with endurance our sanctification is perfected, do we really think that God will always cause our suffering to disappear the second we ask Him to? More likely, God is looking for us to look to Him in complete dependence. He's looking at us to see us say, Lord, this is where I am. I have just wept until I have no more tears. I feel completely overwhelmed, but I will hang on to your promises. I will cling to you while this storm rages, and I will not give up. I will trust in your word and in your faithfulness to get me through this battle, no matter how long it rages. Even if I'm fighting for 10 plus years like David, I will trust your word. And I will be renewed in the spirit of my mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. I will not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind so that I may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I will be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let my requests be known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Because we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have firm footing. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is for us, so who could ever be against us? That's right. This, this, dear friends, is how we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Returning daily, hourly, minute by minute, if need be, to the promises of our Savior. And trusting that our God is enough. His word is living and breathing and sufficient for all of our trials. I want to pause here. All week. sat down, or came up here to, to preach this. 
Because there may be someone here today who is struggling with anxiety or depression. And maybe they've gone to a doctor and, and maybe they're taking antidepressants to help them with their struggle. Please understand, I am not a doctor. Not by any stretch of the imagination. I don't prescribe or prohibit medicine. So don't take what I'm saying today to mean that if you are taking antidepressants, you need to go home and throw them in the garbage and never touch them again. That would be very dangerous. Especially if you have a diagnosed chemical imbalance in the brain. You can't just jump off of that stuff. What medications you are taking is between you, your doctor, and God. But what I am saying is this. God's word gives us a path to victory. It gives us God's way to deal with these issues in our life. And even if you are on medication now, you can still strengthen yourself in the Lord. Go to the scriptures. Strengthen yourself in God's promises. Gain that firm footing so that you can fight the good fight and finish well. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying to yourself, well, I don't have any of this anxiety or depression stuff this guy's blathering on about. If that's the case, great. Awesome. I'm glad. Now look to your brother and sister. We often say that there are Davids and Jonathans in the church, right? Leaders and supporters. God made them both, and they're equally important to each of us and to the kingdom of God. If you are not struggling today, then your role can be like Jonathan. Remember 1 Samuel 23:16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish and encouraged him in God. Jonathan went to his brother in the Lord and encouraged him in God. That is, he reminded David of the promises of, that God had made to him. Not in a judgy, well, David, you shouldn't be feeling this way. After all, you're the Lord's anointed. Why are you feeling this? No. Remember, if I speak with the tongues of angels and yet have no love, I am just a clean garment. We are to come alongside our brother and sister with encouragement and patience and love and with listening ears and with the word of God. Because you never know when you're going to be the one needing a job. If you think you're immune to anxiety or depression, I would echo the words of the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, they called him, who himself struggled with depression. Spurgeon said, there are a great many of you who appear to have a large stock of faith, but it is only because you are in very good health and your business is prospering. If you happen to get a disordered liver or your business should fail, I should not be surprised if nine parts out of ten of your wonderful faith should evaporate. No one is immune, but we have to. We're well into the Lord's time. I've only made it through eight verses. We need to get cracking. Verse 9, David and his 600 men take off. They're, they're on a hunting expedition. And they come to this brook. And they leave 200 guys behind. They're too exhausted to cross this, this river. Remember, they, they run 60 miles the last couple days. To, to get to this brook, it was another 16 miles. 
So I would challenge any of you to go out and in four days run 76 miles and see how well you're doing, right? Oh, and by the way, they have to carry all their stuff too, so go put a backpack on, 80 pound rucksack, 76 miles, four days, and then see if you want to keep going. So they leave 200 there, and they lighten themselves. They get rid of all the stuff they don't need, and they leave them with the baggage, right? And, and as they're going along, it just so happens. Don't you just love that just so happens in the Bible? Now they found an Egyptian in the field. Huh, what a coincidence. They brought him to David. They gave him bread and he ate. He'd been sick. His Amalekite master tossed him to the side like a piece of human machinery. The Amalekite that knew him got rid of him. David that didn't know him fed him. He gave him water. David says, who do you belong? Where are you from? He says he's from Egypt. Now David figures out who it was that did the attack. It's the Amalekites. Dirty Amalekites. He says, my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites and on that which belongs to Judah and on the Negev of Caleb and we burned some kind of fire. The interesting thing here is these Amalekites did exactly what David had been telling King Akish that he was doing. That's, those are the same spots. So these Amalekites went out and did what David said he'd been doing, right? And I gotta give it to this Egyptian, he's a smart guy. Because David says, will you take me to him? He goes, okay, I'll take you. But A, you can't kill me. And B, don't give me back to my master. Right? Which, I mean, if you gave him back to his master, it wouldn't matter anyway. You are gonna see his master didn't last very long. So they take him down, he takes him to where they were, and he finds this site. You can just imagine coming up over the hill, it's kind of comical. They're all spread out, they're all dancing around, drinking, they've got the, the clothes over their head, and they're waving their the jewels around. <laughs> and I just want to tell you right now, if someone came into my house and took my wife and took my kids, and God told me to go get them, when I came over that hill, it would not be a pretty picture. <laughs> and that's what David does. He slaughters them. He slaughters them from twilight until the evening of the next day. This is not a couple sword strokes and it's over. It was it lasted 24 hours. They were killing these guys. And the only one that gets away is 400 young men who got on their camels and turned tail and ran. But this, this victory is so epic that we don't hear of the Amalekites again for 300 years. The next time we hear about them is under King Hezekiah. And he finishes the job. He finishes. He wipes out the rest of the Amalekites. David recovers everything. They recover their wives. Recover all their loot, all their spoil. Look at verse 20. This is how quickly things can change as a leader, right? A couple verses ago, they're like, we're going to hit him with rocks until he dies. This verse, David captured all the sheep and the cattle, which the people drove ahead. So the cattle went ahead of the people for everybody, and David got all the sheep. And all the people said, that, that's David's spoil. We're going to give that to David. I was going to give him a rock earlier, but now I'm going to give him a flock of sheep, right? <laughs> And they get back to those 200 men that were too exhausted to follow. And David approaches them and greets them. We get to verse 22. Then all the wicked and worthless men 
Wicked and worthless men. We've seen this before somewhere. Remember Eli's sons? The sons of Bilal? Wicked and worthless? That's what these are. Not all, not all the 400 men are wicked and worthless, right? It's just there's some in there that are these wicked and worthless men. They said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we've recovered. You can have your wife, you can have your kid, but you're not getting any of the loot. David is about to give us a a master class, a master class in how to lead a ministry. Verses 23 through 25. David says, you must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us who has kept us and delivered into our hand the band that came against us. And who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays with the baggage. They shall share life. So it has been from that day forward that he made a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So David does four things here. Four things that we need to look at. First, David addresses these rabble-rousers. And, and if you're going to be a ministry leader, and, and some of you right now are like, um, maybe we should have this sermon on a different Sunday. Not the, not the Sunday. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. If you're going to be a ministry leader, it's going to happen. You're going to spend all week setting up for VBS. You're going to pour your heart and soul into a ministry. And somebody's going to pop in off the street that hasn't done a, a, a lick of work, and they're going to pop off at the mouth. They're going to say something foolish. reacts warm. Brothers. Brothers. Second, he provides us an amazing and more importantly, a biblical argument. He he says, the Lord has given us. You must not do so, so, brothers, with what the Lord has given us. Whose loot is it? It's not yours. It's not mine. It's the Lord's. He gave it to us. And then he says, he kept us and delivered us, right? He kept us safe, got us there, kept us safe in the battle. Oh, and also he let us win. So which is more weighty? He kept you alive or a million bucks? How are you going to spend a million bucks if you're dead? He says, God gave you your life. God protected you. Why are you arguing over this loot? Third, David moves to uh, an incredulousness. He exposes the foolishness of what the men were saying. He says, who will listen to you in this matter? Right? We'll go out there and we'll take a poll. We'll call up the, the AP, the news network, right, and take a poll. 90% of Americans agree. Who will listen to you in this matter? And finally, David moves with authority. And he says, the same share that you get these guys who stayed with the baggage did. Look at his authority here. Allison mentioned this to me in between the services. I, I hadn't caught it, but think about this. He's not even king yet. He's not even, there is a king already. David's not even king yet, and he makes a statue that lasts, that is in the kingdom until this moment. He moves with authority. any ministry, there will come times where someone acts foolishly. We are all sinners. Amen? I have acted foolishly. Other people have acted foolishly. It's going to happen. 
Sometimes they make demands that are contrary to what the Bible tells us. And for any of you ministry leaders out there, or for you prospective leaders that are coming to the meeting after the second service today, maybe not now, but you were going to come. <laughs> when you encounter someone like this, mark this page in your Bible. Put a little bookmark in there. Scratch a little line next to, to 1 Samuel there. 1 Samuel 30. Look to David as, as an excellent example of how to handle it. And then handle it Brothers, all the while strengthening yourself in the Lord. As our time draws to an end today, we see David in the last several verses there making a very kind and also a very shrewd move. Right? He has all this spoil, and it's not all from Ziklag. Right? They've gone into other areas and plundered there. So he takes some of it and he sends it to each one of those places. And I'm not going to make her fingers fill all of them. I don't even want to say all of them, right? But he sends them out to these places, and he sends them to the places that, that he traveled to and, and places where people had protected him. And it's a kind thing. He doesn't have to do that. It's, it's the spoil of war. It's his. But he does it because it was theirs first. And also to strengthen those bonds with those people. He says... Uh, where did he say it there? Now, David, they said in verse 26, Behold, a gift for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. The rascally Amalekites. <laughs> On one final note, before we wrap this up, we should note that chronologically, right? We know the narrator's been twisting and turning, and he's going back in time, he's coming back forward, and, and chronologically, David would have been inquiring of the Lord about the same time that Saul was going to that witch. The narrator didn't make a big deal of this, so I won't either, other than to point out the contrast of a believer dealing with adversity and an unbeliever dealing with adversity. And we talked enough about the fact that David didn't cry out to the Lord and have all of his problems solved instantly. But what a Difference David's word from the Lord compared to Saul's word from the witch. Next week we'll see Samuel's words come true. As we wrap up 1 Samuel and we say goodbye to, to Israel's first king, we aren't moving into 2 Samuel. You heard Shane say that we'll be going into Romans. But if, if you keep reading, right, you jump into 2 Samuel and, and read around, you read that even after Saul's death, Life won't be easy for David. He still has a civil war that he's going to have to fight in order to secure the throne. And there will be heartache and stress and there will be great sin. But the interesting thing is the great sin doesn't come until the heartache and stress go away. David stays back from going out with his troops. He decides to remove himself from the battle and live a life of ease in the palace. As David rests and enjoys life outside of the struggle he'd been in for so many years, he spies a beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop. And the rest is history. Struggles will come and we will 
have to fight through those things. But if we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we may come to realize that those battles are right where the Lord is keeping us to protect us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the examples you give us in your word. Examples of men and women that are just like us. They're, they're faulty, they're flawed, they're sinful. Lord, but when it's important, they strengthen themselves in the Lord. I pray today that our attitudes on, on anxiety and depression would be a right one. That we would understand, Lord, what it is to deal with that. And for the Christian out there that says, if you have anxiety or you have depression, you're not a real Christian. I would turn them to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus Christ prayed and sweated drops of blood. And I would pray that we would respond in the way that Jesus did. Where we would say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. We save the world. Lord, we pray that as we go about our week this week, Lord, and, and every week going forward, that we would remember our response to trouble, our response to anxiety and depression is to give it to you. And though we may not instantly be healed, though we may not instantly feel better, but we will grow. We will become stronger. Our faith will be strengthened. And we will become more Christ-like every day that we fight. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.